consider all the times I've let God down. I am humbled by the grace He has extended. I'm amazed at the mercy I have found. I could never earn His love on my own. Yet every time I great I am. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hand that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. Even at my best, I am unworthy. I have nothing precious I can give. A broken life is all I have to offer. And yet, it is a priceless gift to Him. The bitter mark of sin will never fade away. But I can come before Him unashamed. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I Am. When He looks at me, He sees the nail-scarred hand that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. I stand redeemed by the blood of the stand redeemed before the great I am. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hand that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hand that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. Amen. Aren't you glad you're redeemed tonight? Amen. Isn't that good? You know, it may not mean as much to you until you're laying on your deathbed. <clears throat> it might not mean as much to us until we're in the midst of a tragedy and we think our life's fleeing from us. Or we hear bad news from the doctor. And all of a sudden we'll be glad more than ever that we made the decision to make that important in our life and to trust the Lord as our Savior. You know, in the midst of life so many times we get going in life, we don't even think about it really. We don't really give much thought to it, but boy, I'll guarantee you, when you get those test results back and you hear that news, that'll become a priority in your life. All of a sudden, your relationship with the Lord takes first place. Nothing else seems to matter a whole lot when you know that you could be on the other side soon. And I think sometimes as believers, and again, I understand we can't dwell on those things. We certainly can't. I mean, we're not called to think about death. We're called to live life. Let the dead bury the dead, the Bible says. So we have to think about life. But well, I'll tell you what, it does us good from time to time to realize that what we have is pretty valuable, really valuable. And boy, we've got to be thankful for it. 
really need to be thankful. It was just <clears throat> at football camp this week uh, we got news, uh, and some of you have already heard it probably, but a missionary there in, uh, um, in uh, where was it? Where'd you go on honeymoon, Mark? Dominican Republic. Yeah. He's already forgotten. <clears throat> Very memorable trip. <clears throat> but uh, no, I caught him off guard there. He was, he was writing a note to Morgan. But, um, <clears throat> but the fact is, is that there in the Dominican Republic, there was a, a missionary and they were having a VBS just this, w- last, this past week on uh, the beach. And apparently there was at the beach somehow, some way, and one of the young children or one of the kids was caught in a riptide, started going out, and he went to rescue that child. And uh, he and the child both perished. Just that quick, 39 years old, four children, some young, some older. Can you imagine that quick? I guarantee he's glad he's redeemed. His family's glad he's redeemed because they know they'll see him again. Just coming home from football camp and, and on our way home, our bus broke down this this last uh, on the way home, and uh, <clears throat> was I got the phone call because Brother Kavanaugh decided to drive through the night, um, and he was very 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 careful with things like that. But um, nonetheless, I got the phone call at two in the morning our time there in Illinois uh, in uh, Illinois, uh, and I I saw his name, and, and at least when I saw him, I thought, well, he's still alive at least. So it, maybe they didn't have a tragedy. You know, you know how you are at 2 in the morning. You get a phone call, you know. And, uh, you know, my son's with him. Your children are with him. And I'm thinking, oh, man, what's going on? He says, everything's all right. We're just on the side of the highway broke down. I went, oh, good. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> but, you know, that next day, I believe it was early in the morning, uh, another preacher that was there. Or no, not a preacher, but a, a layman that goes and brings young men to the camp. He, his son, and others, and I know his son, I've coached him, and a uh, good young fella, and uh, he was in an accident on the way from camp leaving. I don't know if he's in his van or if he's in his car, but a number of the children that were in the car uh, ended up going to the hospital, were released with bruises and things, but he himself uh, had uh, a bruised lung, two broken ribs, two dislocated ribs, a broken uh, tailbone, and uh, numerous other problems that they're watching. So he was left kept in the hospital for a while. Observation, just make sure there wasn't a a real serious problem, doing some testing and so forth, making sure it wasn't life-threatening. But just that quick, just that quick, life changed. You know, just that quick. And so anyway, we are glad we're redeemed. That's a great song, isn't it? And boy, I'll tell you what, we thank the Lord for his sacrifice on Calvary so that we can rest every night knowing no matter what, he's with us, and no matter what, we'll be with him. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 2 tonight. Second Kings chapter 2. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 11. We have a baby dedication tonight, so we're going to move things along this evening and that going. We want to make sure that we take some time for that. Second Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. 
So they went down to Bethel. The sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha, said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? <clears throat> and he said, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee. For the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha, said unto him, Knowest thou not, excuse us, knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered and said, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood the view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. It came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. <clears throat> what a great, great passage. What a marvelous event in history. It's amazing to think that this really happened. You know, so often we look at the Bible and it just seems like a story to us. Oh, even we who know it's true, we say things like, you know, what a great account. And we say, boy, that would have been awesome. I wish I could have been there. And sometimes if we're not careful, it's almost like it was a movie or some kind of dream. But no, it was, it was literal. It actually happened. It would be though you and your wife or you and one of your children or you and one of your friends was walking along. And all of a sudden, this, the sky opens up and a chariot comes down out of heaven, literally flaming chariot, and takes the other right out. Just separates the two of you apart, grabs the one, and leaves you behind. I mean, it would, it's just that real. And this is what took place, and it's what happened, and what transpired, and boy, it was an amazing event. One day we'll have an opportunity to sit down with Elijah and say, hey, how was the ride? But it's interesting to note here in the passage, everybody was well aware that he was going to go. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, everybody knew, the sons of the prophets all knew that he was going to be taken away. Elisha, he knew that Elijah would be taken away. Elijah uh, himself knew he was going to be taken away. And yet, although he knew this was potentially and would be the last day of his life, you know what we see him doing? The work of God again. The will of God again. As a matter of fact, he, we find him traveling to Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. 
We don't see him sitting down, relaxing, taking it easy and saying, now, fellas, let me give you some final instructions and so forth, so on. No, I know the Lord's coming right now, so let's get that done. No, he says, you know what? There's still something to be done. The Lord's calling me, telling me to go to Bethel, to Jericho, to Jordan. And so he makes his rounds. All I know is there was a number of men of God that saw him and a number of men of God that knew he was leaving, including Elijah and Elisha. And yet he was busy about the work of the Lord to the very moment he was received up to glory. What a, a tremendous example Elijah is of faithful Christian service. He's waiting on the chariot of fire. But instead of taking a seat, he just continues to serve. Right to the very end, he's on the job. And I like that. <clears throat> now listen, we need to obey and serve the Lord as well. We need to do that up to the point where he receives us into his presence. And like any life, the life of Elijah was riddled with challenges, conflicts, and combat. Constant warfare. The devil is a worthy adversary. And he was fighting Elijah throughout his lifetime. There was a great battle that took place throughout the life of Elijah until the very moment he was taken up in that chariot. And the fact is today is that the devil may not be able to steal your soul, but he can derail your service and render you useless as a believer. Elijah faced some major obstacles <clears throat> that could have easily derailed his work for God. And you know what? You and I are going to face those kind of obstacles as well. And tonight, I want to share three obstacles from the life of Elijah that you and I cannot allow to derail us. Just simply three of them tonight. And so let's have a word of prayer, and we'll look at those three obstacles that could indeed derail us. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership and your love. May you work in our lives. Father, may you encourage us in the things of Christ. Now, Lord, bless us and help us to learn from the life of Elijah. And, Lord, may we not be derailed because of the obstacles that we'll, fa we'll face in this life. Help us to remain faithful to the very end. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> All right, uh, number one, we start talking about those obstacles, uh, three obstacles that can be used to derail us in our Christian life. Number one. We can't allow foes to keep us from standing. We can't allow foes to keep us from standing. You know, King Ahab blamed all his problems on those uh, uh, and those of the kingdom on Elijah. Look, if you will, in 1 Kings chapter 18. Back in 1 Kings chapter 18, we see this. Of course, in 2 Kings 2, we're dealing with his final moments until he's received up into heaven by that fiery chariot, but here in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, we're catching a little bit of the life of Elijah. And from the life of Elijah, we can, we can learn about some obstacles that we'll face that could easily derail us. Number one, foes. They can derail us. And we can't allow foes to keep us from standing. Notice it says here in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Elijah said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Balaam, of course, being a god, little g god. They turned their back on the big g god. And now they're worshiping little g gods. 
And the fact is, is that this wicked king, the most wicked king in Israel's history, is now blaming the man of God for his problems. It's all your fault, Elijah. You're the reason why we're experiencing this drought. You're the reason why we're experiencing this famine. You're the reason why we're so uncomfortable. You're the reason why I feel so, um, so, so um, impotent in my abilities to run my kingdom. You're the problem here. And Elijah says, I'm not the problem. You and your, those like you are the problem in that you have turned your back on God to serve idols. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17 through 40, if we took the time to read it, we would find that there's going to be a tremendous challenge made. Elijah's going to challenge the prophets of Baal. He's going to challenge the very foes and the very enemy that stood against him, that sought to destroy him. He's going to say, listen, let's find out whose God is really God. And of course, we know how the story goes. And we understand that in the end, it's fire that comes down from heaven and burns up the sacrifice made by Elijah. All along, the prophets of Baal are seeking the, the, for their God to hear them, but nobody's listening. Nobody's watching from, their, from, from, from heaven. No, it's just seriously just an idol, a little G-God. And there's no life in little G-Gods. There's no power with little G-Gods. There's no ability to deliver from a little G-God. There's only power in the big G-God, our God. And someone says, oh, you're so exclusive. It's just about, you're always right. No, it has nothing to do with that. You can be right too if you'll just follow Him. Amen. We're all allowed to be right. Well, I'm not the only one that's right. Anybody that believes the Word of God is right when it comes to the things of God. Because God's Word is true. But He has this great challenge and this great battle that takes place. Ultimately, there are 400 of these particular prophets of Baal that stand against Him. So it's just him against the 400. It's him against the nation of Israel. It's him against the king of Israel. Don't think for a minute that the king wouldn't have wanted to take his life. He was always a foe. And yet in the midst of the foes, he continued to stand. We can't allow the foes to keep us from standing for our God. And there are a number of foes that we face in the world in which we live. We could go on and on and on and list them. We could write them down. We could type them out. We could send them over social media. We could tell the world, but let me tell you, if you're living it today and you're truly serving the Lord Jesus Christ, you understand that there are some obstacles and one of those obstacles are the foes that stand between you and your service for the Lord. But the Lord showed up that day and the Lord showed off that day and there is not one enemy that is stronger than Jesus Christ. We are guaranteed opposition, though. You can just bet on it. You can just put money on it. You can take that to the bank. There is opposition headed your way. Moses faced it. Jeremiah faced it. Ezekiel faced it. Other men of God faced it. Jesus himself faced obstacles and foes on the, on the cross at Calvary. There, are op, there is opposition after opposition if you're truly going to live your life. In 2 Timothy 3.12, the Bible says, Yea, all them that shall live, will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If there's no persecution, there is no separation in your life. <clears throat> Someone says, well, what's that have to do with separation? Last time I checked, godliness is, in a dis is distinctly opposite from ungodliness. Uh, I mean, that's just the way it is. There's a separation, there's a distinction between the ungodly and the godly. I mean, there's a distinction, you can't help but notice it. 
And it'd be like somebody went outside and sprayed the, the sprayed some dirt with water, rolled around in it, made mud out of it, got all muddy and dirty, walked in, and somebody else had just taken a shower and put on a nice clean suit, walks in the door side by side, and I'd say, which one of those is, do they look exactly like you? go, no, one is filthy. The other's clean. There's a distinction there. And what makes it separation is when you choose to be clean versus dirty. So we see here that there are going to always be opposition. And if you will live godly in Christ Jesus, guess what? You will face opposition from the enemy. The greatest enemy being the devil himself. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. It's no wonder we're called soldiers in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It's no wonder that we're told not to allow ourselves to be entangled with the affairs of this life. It's no wonder that we are told and warned that you're going to be in a battle. Why? Because you have an adversary. And if you will live the Christian life as God intended it to, it will not be a bed of roses. And that is exactly what we want the Christian life to be today. If we're not careful, we want it to run smooth. We want it to be easy. We want it all to work out in our favor. But let me tell you something. Hurt, heartache, difficulties, trials, and tribulation come to those who live godly in a wicked, sinful, vile, wretched world. We're not distinct enough. We're not different enough. That's why it's easy for us. Isn't it sad? Look at the early Christians. You say, yeah, but they were killing them. You want to know why? Because they wouldn't shut their mouths. You want to know why? Because they wouldn't quit living a separated, clean life. And they wouldn't stop being little Christ. Instead, they just continue to say, We will not conform to your image. We will not conform to your culture. We will not conform to your set of standards and rules and regulations. We're going to live according to the Word of God. If it means dying. And that's exactly what they did. They died because they wouldn't give in to the culture, and to the world in which they lived. And here we are today in 2015. We get a few Supreme Court decisions and we start going, oh, oh, what's going to happen to us? I'll tell you what's going to happen sooner or later if we'll live godly, and it can happen today if we live godly enough. There's going to be somebody isn't going to like it. You're going to have plenty of opposition, a number of foes. But let me tell you, Elijah, in his life, didn't allow the foes to keep him from standing. You know what, in this life, if you and I will let the foes affect us negatively, we won't stand for God. We won't do it. One of the obstacles from the life of Elijah that you and I cannot allow us to derail us as foes. He didn't allow it to derail him. You can't allow those foes to derail you either. They may be in your home, amongst your family, or those so-called friends that you say are your friends. Listen, if somebody doesn't support you in your walk for Christ, then they are not a friend to you. I don't care what you call them. Just get ready for the ride. You may have a husband or wife that doesn't support you in your walk with God. Listen, as far as it spiritually speaking, they're a foe. Oh, you still love them and you're still going to submit to them as a wife. You're still going to follow the word of God and supply your, the, for that wife and that family no matter what. But the reality is, is that spiritually speaking, they're not trying to help you get anywhere. They're trying to hold you back. Last I checked, that's what your enemy tries to do. That's what a foe does. 
Now listen, I, I, I'm not trying to teach people to be mean and mad against their family. Not at all. Let me tell you something. You better recognize that you're going to have some battles in your life. There's going to be some obstacles. Elijah did. He had some. And yet, he didn't allow his foes to keep him from standing. We can't do the same. We, can, we cannot allow that to happen. Number two, <clears throat> we can't allow fear to keep us from striving. We can't allow fear to keep us from striving. See, the believer cannot allow fear, whether it's fear of mankind, whether it's fear of necessities, keep us from serving the Lord. Elijah, he had just experienced and enjoyed one of the greatest victories in his life. And honestly, one of the greatest victories in history. I mean, let's face it. I mean, when fire came down from heaven and licked up the water and burned up the sacrifice, and all of a sudden, here's Elijah going there and, uh, you know, taking 400 of his enemies and cutting their heads off, running them through with the, with the sword. Over 400. Now listen, all of those prophets of Baal died that day. They all died. They were killed. A tremendous victory. The foes of Elijah, those that stood against his God and his faith, were gone now. What a great victory there was that day. Here they sought his life, and yet in the end, their life was what was bought, was what it cost. This is a tremendous victory. But not long after that, you're going to find Elijah running. He's a man on the run, and he's running from his enemies now. First of all, he stands in the midst of his foes, and now he's running. Why? Because of fear. Because of fear. Fear's a powerful tool. Have you ever really been afraid? I mean, you really, have you ever really been afraid? I know a little bit about fear. I, I, I was just a young teenager, and I, I, I got duped into believing that there was a cult that was trying to kill one of my family members. And I had phone calls, and they knew names, and they knew places, and they knew things they shouldn't know. And I was under the impression, under the impression that somebody on the outside in some kind of cult gang type thing was after one of I mean, I mean, demonic type stuff, okay, folks? You know, the kind of thing where, you know, uh, we're, we're uh, Satanists and we're, uh, we're going to kill your loved one if you tell anybody that you're receiving these calls and if you don't do it, you're told. Hey, man, that phone would ring and my whole face would go flush. And I was so scared, I, would, I didn't want to answer the phone. I don't answer the phone to this day, Harlan. Not because I'm afraid of that, but there's just, I don't like answering phones anymore. <laughs> Listen, I, I know what fear is, and I know what it'll do to you. It'll paralyze you. It'll paralyze you. I remember walking home from school, and a car would drive up by me. And I, I was carrying a weapon all the time on me. I was, I was afraid. I thought somebody was going to do something. I remember when I found out what was really going on, and listen to me now, when I found out some young man in the church was the one that was really the culprit of all of it. Listen, those kind of things happen in church. Oh, by the way, you know my parents didn't leave the church? Because this thing happened to me. Do you know that my parents didn't tell me that God was no longer good? And my parents didn't say, oh, poor little Marky, we better just run away and hide. And we better just not make him face the situation or that person anymore. No, I faced that person. And I faced that situation. I was forced to. I was made to by my parents. Because, see, life's full of adversaries. And life's full of difficult situations. Did that person have to leave the church? No, they didn't have to leave the church. And I didn't expect them to. I beat him up pretty good. No, I'm joking. But anyway, I, but, but the fact is, is that, that I dealt with that. I had to face that. But man, I know what fear is a little bit. Just that one situation. Now, there's other times I've been pretty afraid too. Honestly, when I thought I was going to war, I was pretty afraid. 
That bothered me a little bit, to be honest with you. I had a baby on the way, and I thought, I may never get to see my child. That, that didn't feel too good. Remember, we went out on a, one time when I was in the military, we went out on a, an exercise, and, and they used to, you know, over in Germany, you know, you, we were guarding the, um, the, over there, at that time, the Cold War was still in place. And uh, so there in Germany, we, we had a border, and we were patrolling a border, and they called a special thing about 3 or 4 in the morning. We get this alert that comes over, and we go on out, and we're thinking, ah, it's just like normal. We'll be back in about 4 or 5 hours. Man, we sat out there for 16 hours, and finally word came down. This isn't a drill. Well, somebody was stupid and said something, and you know how that goes. It just got passed all around. Man, something inside of me just got sick, and I thought, I ain't going back to the barracks. This is it, man. This is war. I don't, you ever been afraid? I mean, really afraid. Sick afraid. Well, that's exactly what Elijah's feeling now. He's sick afraid. He's afraid for his very life. It just doesn't make sense to him. He doesn't understand what that... He, he's, not, he's just losing perspective at this point. He's so afraid. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19. You say, what could he be so afraid of? This is really interesting, isn't it? Watch who, he's, who and what he's afraid of. Because he just got done, remember, uh, calling fire out of heaven. God's just miraculously proving himself awesome. And then turn around killing 400 of the prophets of Baal. You know, in your facing, uh, uh, the, the king, Ahab. And now look what happens here. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying... So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. What she's saying is, you know what? I promise I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. You're a dead man for what you did. You are a dead man. Here's the queen, Jezebel. The Bible says... And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. See, being afraid for your life will make you do some crazy things. Oh, I like it when people start to, oh, I, I would, I'd die for Jesus. I don't understand those people back in the old, in the, you know, when they had to, you know, if it was me, I would have died. If they said to me, put a gun to my head and said, you renounce Christ or I'll blow your brains out. Oh, I would never denounce Christ. Never! Well, we'll see when the gun's at your head. Because I'm going to tell you something. Fear of death makes you do some crazy things. Makes you do some crazy things. Elijah's doing some nutty stuff here. I mean, this is out of character for him. But he is so fearful and he's so afraid. What's he doing? Running from, can I say it as plainly as I can? A woman. He just whooped 400 prophets. He just upped the king of Israel. He just called down fire from heaven. And now he's on the run from one woman, fearing for his life. Isn't that amazing? Look at him in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9 now. It's interesting how he processes things and what he's thinking. He came thither into a cave, and he lodged there. He's in hiding, folks. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been, a very, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel 
have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. What, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, listen, I have given my life to serving the Lord. I've been jealous of the Lord. I have, I've renounced everything else. I've given my all to just you, Lord. I've done everything you said, and I've done it with zeal. I've done it with delight. I've given you everything. And now, these children of Israel, they've forsaken the covenant. They've thrown down your altars. they slayed your prophets with the sword. And here I am, Lord, alone, standing on your behalf, all by myself. Nobody else is. You're making excuses now trying to justify his actions before God. Verse 14, he says it again. I've been very jealous for the Lord God, God of hosts. Why? Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. Broken record, Elijah. The Lord's heard this already. And I only am left. They seek my life to take it away. So what are you doing there? Why are you still there, Elijah? What are you doing? What doest thou here? Well, let me tell you why I'm here, Lord. Let me tell you again, Lord. Let me tell you a third time. And finally the Lord says to him, 1 Kings 19, 18, Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. You know what, Elijah? You're not alone. So quit playing the martyr here. Quit thinking you're the only one that got a bad call from the doctor. Quit thinking you're the only one that just had a tragedy in your life. Quit thinking you're the only one that serves God, that's had somebody that stabbed them in the back and treated them like they, they, they shouldn't have been treated. Listen, quit whining and crying and complaining and get up and do something. Amen. That's what he's saying to them. Isn't it in our human nature to feel like we're the only one that's standing for God? We're the only one that really cares about those poor little bus kids. If they really cared, they wouldn't have treated them that way. They wouldn't have yelled at them. They wouldn't have said that. And I just don't understand them. They're just not very good people. And they're really not Christ-like the way I am. I'm the only one. Aren't we? We're prone to that. Folks, listen, you better be careful. Elijah here, man, I'll tell you what, he's scared out of his mind. He's making excuses why he's running from a woman. He's making excuses why he's hiding in a cave. He's saying, listen, I, I'm so right with God, and yet look at what's going on in my life. Here I am going to die. And God's like, what are you doing here? And you know what? Fear will derail you too. Fear will derail me. Fear of the faces of men. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord had to tell Jeremiah, listen, don't you let fear keep you from obeying me. He says, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Be not afraid of their faces. Be not afraid of their faces. How many of us don't knock a door because we're afraid? How many of us don't pass tracks because we're afraid? How many of us don't stand up for the Lord because we're afraid? How many of us have allowed fear to keep us from accomplishing and obeying what God's called us to do? How many have failed to go into the ministry for fear of not being able to provide for my family? How many have not gone into the ministry for fear of the future and what it holds? I'm just saying fear has paralyzed God's people long enough. And the fact is today is we can't allow fear to keep us from striving. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ has some advice for you and I today. 
In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Here's what I really believe, okay? I believe if I'm seated and someone's threatening my life, there is no way in the world I will have the ability. I'm talking about on behalf of Christ. There is no way in the world I'd be able to say, hey, do what you got to do, but I'm not going to turn my back on the Lord. I cannot do that unless I am in such sweet communion and fellowship with God the moment I woke up and walked into it. I have to be filled with the Spirit. And if I'm not filled with the Spirit of God, my flesh will take over at that point. And may I say today, it doesn't matter how Spirit-filled Elijah was just before he got the threat. The fact was, when he got it, he was in the flesh. He might have been in the Spirit earlier. He might have seen the glory of God come down. But let me tell you something. It's not enough to see it Monday. You've got to see it Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. It's not enough to go to church Sunday and then live the rest of your life like you're just a normal person. Because there's nobody normal in this room if you're a child of God. And if we want to really stand for God and we want to strive for God, if we don't want our foes and fear to keep us from serving the Lord Jesus Christ, then we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be walking in the Spirit of God, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. See, we're not to fear anyone or anything but God. That's the reality of life. I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I'm not a good example of that one. I struggle with that. You know, I've told you stories where I'm, I'm scared to death at night sometimes or I'm afraid of this or afraid of that. Listen, I'm human. You know? I, I went through an ordeal for a whole year, didn't know what was wrong with my back, and I'm thinking, yep, you're going to die. You probably got cancer back there. You're going to get the news soon. It's over with. You might as well figure. You're checking out in three to six months. I felt that. I felt that pressure. I'll be honest with you. And I had to war with that. I had to war with that. Listen, I know what it is to get up in the morning and beg God to give you peace in the midst of that kind of mess. I understand that. But what am I, what, we're afraid of things, constantly in fear. Whether it's fear of our finances or fear of our family and relationships or fear of our health or someone else's health, fear of someone dying or fear of someone being in an accident, we let fear rule our lives and rule our hearts so often. And if fear is in our lives, it takes precedence over the Father. And here's what the Bible says. We're not to fear anyone, and we're not to fear nothing but God. He says in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, let us hear the, whole, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Fear God and keep His commands. For this is the whole duty of man. There's only one person you ought to fear in your life, and it ought to be God. See, if you and I would just fear God, we would obey our parents. If you and I feared God, wives, you would submit to your husbands. You know, if you feared God, you'd actually obey the laws of the land. But see, so often we don't fear God, we fear the consequences of our actions more than that. And so really, fear rules us, not the Father. There's a problem with that. We need to work on that in our lives. <clears throat> Let me, because of time, move on quickly. 
We can't allow foes to keep us from standing. We can't allow fear to keep us from striving. And finally, we can't allow failure to, failure to keep us from succeeding. Again, here's Elijah now. I mean, he had this tremendous victory on Mount Carmel. Called fire down out of heaven. Can you imagine? Watched 400 of the prophets fall to their demise. Prophets of Baal fall. And now a woman speaks up and he says, <gasps> and he's scared to death. Runs for his life. But hold on. In the end, where do we see Elijah? He's a success, is he not? He's remembered as one of the great prophets of all Israel and all the, all the world. Why? Because in the end, he didn't allow his failure to keep him from succeeding. That's a big lesson. We talked about this morning some, so we don't need to hash it and rehash it. But may I say, there's not one of us in this room, if we're honest, that haven't failed God. We've all failed Him. Every one of us have disobeyed Him. I mean, willfully disobeyed the Lord. Every one of us leave church and have to go fight a battle to say no to the flesh every single week. You know, we stand around and we, we try to talk like we're spiritual and we try to pretend with everyone that we've got it all figured out. And, you know, and, 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 and again, some things we do have figured out. And there's some things we do well and some things we don't do as well. But the reality is that I don't care how holy we want to believe ourselves to be. It doesn't matter how spiritual we want to believe ourselves to be. There is a raging battle in our life every day to say no to this old flesh. And you know what? We've all failed. But we cannot allow failures to keep us from succeeding. Paul said, again, like we said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and, press, and, and, um, and reaching forth into those things which are before. On the football field, we had ten young men that went played football. And I guarantee you on the football field, they made mistakes. They messed up. I heard of one young man that the ball came around his side. He missed the tackle. The kid went on to score and he started crying. Just a little boy. He cried. Why are you crying, son? I messed up. Cost my team a touchdown. He failed. And he did fail. I know that feeling. I played football enough to know how that feels. But he kept on going. And I'll guarantee you, in the end, he made that tackle. And he saved his team a touchdown next time. You know what? All of us have failed the Lord. All of us have failed even our commitments. All of us have been in a place where we knew, wow, I messed up. But you know what? You can't let that in the Christian life keep you from succeeding. So just keep on keeping on for him. Don't quit on the Lord. Elijah had a number of victories in his life. But he experienced some failures too, we see. I mean, he found great delight in serving the Lord, and still he experienced some major disappointments also. I mean, his faith was undaunted at times, and yet at others, his doubts seemed to flood his soul. He stood ferociously on behalf of the Lord, but he also could be found wilting with fear at one point in his life. That's amazing to me. And yet I'm encouraged by that. 
Because God went on to use Elijah. And Elijah said, I will not allow my fear. I will not allow my foes. I'll not allow my failures to keep me from fulfilling the calling and the will of God in my life. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep striving. I'm going to keep standing. I'm going to keep succeeding as much as I possibly can with God's help. And I'm glad about that. And you know what? You can do the same. And I can do the same. God help us, like Elijah, to face our foes, to face our fears, and to face our failures. And stand, strive, and succeed for Him. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And here it is now. For without me, ye can do nothing. Did you get that? That statement right there, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. Interesting that it's seven words, by the way. Is the problem with us in general across the board. The truth is we don't need him. We make enough money to live without him. Our cars run enough to not worry about him. Making sure they're starting. Our children go to safe enough schools that we don't worry about them every day. We live in a country where even if something goes wrong, probably the government's going to step in and help us. I, listen to me. I, I'm not trying to... I'm just saying in my own life. Hey, listen. I, I know enough of the Bible that I can preach without Jesus. I can do it. You know enough of the Bible Sunday school teachers that you can teach without Jesus. Bus drivers, you know enough of the laws, you know enough of the have enough expertise and ability that you can drive the bus without Jesus. Nursery workers, you know how to change a diaper so well you could do it in your sleep. You certainly don't need Jesus. Church cleaners, hey listen, we're sweeping, but we don't need Jesus to do that. I didn't need to pray before I went up there this morning. I don't need to read my Bible. I'm good. I can get the job done. Don't need Jesus. I can be a good husband. I don't really need Jesus to be a good husband. I mean, I had a good example growing up maybe or, or I, you know, things are going okay in our home right now, so we don't need Jesus. You get where I'm going with this. And yet he says, for without me... You can do nothing. What are you doing without him? Because if you're doing anything without him, there's a good chance that like Elijah, it won't be long before our foes keep us from standing. It won't be long before our fear keeps us from striving. And it won't be long before failure keeps us from succeeding. God help us today to be like Elijah. Amen. And just to serve Him to the very day and moment that He takes us to be with Him. Father, we come to You. We ask, Lord, You'd help us today.